Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that I'd like to further study with you this morning is the Gospel reading that we just heard from Matthew 21. That's printed out in the worship folder so that you can follow along as we study God's Word together. I'll encourage the wives not to be too quick to answer the question for their husbands, but are you patient? I'm not. The word patient means to be long-suffering. It means that you're willing to suffer for a long time while you wait for somebody else. But I don't like to suffer, and I don't like to wait. You can decide for yourself if you're patient or not, but today we're going to learn about God's patience. God is long-suffering. God is willing to suffer for a long time while he waits for us, while he waits for us to worship him, while he waits for us to repent of our sin, while he waits for us to eagerly listen to his word, believe it, and live according to it. In fact, God is so patient that some might call it reckless. On the one hand, almost Foolish that he'd be willing to wait so long while he suffers. But on the other hand, because he's waiting for us, it's shocking. Today we're going to hear another one of Jesus' parables, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning, and it is a story of reckless patience. It's probably good to know that Jesus told this parable on Tuesday of Holy Week. That means that he knew he was going to be hanging on a cross and that he would die in about three days' time. Jesus spent some of those last days of Holy Week preaching and teaching in the temple, and that was the case on Tuesday. Jesus was busy giving the people, the the Passover crowds that had come to the temple, one more opportunity to learn about the kingdom of God, to repent and believe. You might also remember that the day before, Jesus caused some commotion in the temple. He he flipped over the tables of the money changers and he drove out the animals and those who were selling. He proclaimed that God wanted a house of prayer and not a den of robbers. Well, that led some of the Jewish religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law to question Jesus. Who gave you authority? Who gave you authority to teach? They were supposed to be the teachers. Who gave you authority to chase the the money changers and those selling animals out of here? One of the ways Jesus responded was with this parable. It was a story about a landowner who decided to develop his land. And so he planted a vineyard and he spared absolutely no effort and no expense to ensure that his vineyard would produce an abundant harvest, an abundant crop. And so he he put a fence or a wall around it. He dug a wine press right in the middle of the vineyard so that they could process the grapes and create juice or wine quickly. He built a watchtower so they could could watch for any enemies that might attack. And and then he rented the field out, the vineyard out, to some farmers so, so that they could take care of it. Pulling weeds, fertilizing, whatever they needed to do to ensure that abundant crop. And then the landowner went away and waited for harvest time. And when that time came, he did what everybody did. This was normal business. He sent some of his servants to collect his 
fair share of the crop. It wasn't the whole crop. The farmers were going to get their fair share too, but the farmers did not want to give up any part of the crop. They wanted the entire harvest. In fact, they wanted the vineyard all for themselves. And so when the servants came, they beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Now that should have been the end of the story. Because you would expect at that point that the landowner would send an army or whatever he needed to do to get rid of those farmers at the least and maybe to destroy them at the worst. But this landowner was patient. Recklessly patient. He sent another batch of servants, this time more servants than the first time But when the farmers saw them, they treated them the same way. They beat them, killed them, and stoned them to death. Now that should have been the end of the story, without a doubt. But the landowner was patient. Recklessly patient. Rather than sending a third batch of servants, he decided to send his son. He thought, they will respect my son. But when the farmers saw the son, they got together and they said to themselves, that's the heir. If we kill him, then the entire vineyard will be ours. And so that's what they did. They killed the son and they threw his dead body outside of the vineyard. It's foolish. What kind of landowner would send a second group of servants after the first group had been beaten, killed, and stoned? And and, and then what kind of landowner would be so foolish to send his son to a group of people who had killed at least seven of his servants? Well, you know whom the landowner represents, right? It's God. God planted a vineyard. You might have to go back and read it later, but our first reading from Isaiah 5 explains the illustration or comparison. That vineyard was God's people, Israel and Judah. God chose them out of all of the nations of the earth. God chose this one nation, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be his own People And he spared no effort and no expense to ensure that they would produce an abundant crop for their own blessing and for his glory. He, he put a fence or a wall around them when he gave Moses all of the Old Testament laws, the, the government laws, the church laws, and the Ten Commandments. Those were meant to keep them separate from all of the heathen, unbelieving nations that would lead them away from God and into sin, death, and destruction. God built a wine press, so to speak, right in the middle of them. He he filled them with his promises and blessings. You probably remember some of them. God promised that they would become a, a great nation with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. God promised that he would give them their own land and their own country. God even promised that through that one nation, he would bless all the nations of the earth by sending a savior from them. God built a watchtower. He provided judges and kings to watch over them and protect them. And God assigned farmers to take care of them. Priests who would call them to repentance as necessary and regularly remind them of all of God's promises. So again, that their lives would be filled with his blessings. And what harvest or crop did God seek from his people? 
love. God loved them as his children, and he wanted them to love him as their father. God wanted them to acknowledge that he is God and they are his people. He, he wanted people who would worship him and honor him and glorify him. He wanted people who would be eager to listen to his word and who would trust his word so much that they were willing to live according to it because they knew that's what was best for them. That's what God wanted. That's not what God received. If you read your Old Testament, you know all too often that God's Old Testament people, the nation of Israel and Judah, they, they were like the farmers. They did not want to give God his fair share of the crop. I mean, God had blessed them so abundantly. Everything they had came from him, but they wanted to keep it all for themselves. They for sure wanted God to continue pouring out his blessings, but either they didn't give offerings back at all, or, or maybe they gave their leftover, their diseased animals, or the, the scraps of their field. Sometimes they even gave their offerings to those false gods from which the true God wanted to protect them. They didn't listen to his word. They didn't trust him. They didn't live according to it. And, and so what should God do? Well, God asked the people after he told the parable, what should the landowner do? And they said, he should bring a wretched end to those wretches. But God was patient, recklessly patient. Rather than destroying his people as he wanted to do as soon as they worshiped the golden calf right after they came out of Egypt, instead, God sent them prophets like Moses Elijah or Elisha. God called his people to repentance and he waited as he suffered. But for the most part, the people mistreated God's servants, the prophets. They didn't always beat, kill, or stone them, but they did often reject them and refuse to repent or believe or live according to God's will. And God should destroy them. But God was patient. Recklessly patient. In fact, at one point, God did send his people into exile to, to live in Babylon for 70 years. But, but then he brought them back and he sent more prophets, like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. They rejected them too. And so what should God do? He should bring those wretches to a wretched end. But God was patient. <laughs> so patient that he sent his only son. In fact, there was Jesus standing in the temple on Tuesday of Holy Week, two days before the Passover feast that pointed to the sacrifice that God required to pay for the sins of the people. And he's teaching and calling to repentance the very people who were already plotting and scheming to have him arrested and killed. And so what should God do? He should bring those wretches to a wretched end and to a degree, God did that with the nation of Israel. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years before. Not just physically, as we're even seeing today, but spiritually. But did you catch what came after the destruction? That God would give the kingdom to another people. In fact, we heard that as we prepared for baptism this morning. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
God's planting a new vineyard right now. And it's sitting before me. God is calling you to be his people. And he spares absolutely no effort and no expense to ensure that you can produce an abundant crop for your own blessing and for his glory. We don't follow all of the Old Testament laws anymore, but God still gave us the Ten Commandments to to put a hedge or a fence around us to protect us from temptation and sin that always leads to death and destruction. God has, you could say, built or dug a wine press right in the middle of us, in the middle of our congregation, in the middle of our homes, and in the middle of our hearts and lives as he continues to provide all that we need to to protect us and to give us the promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation. God has built a watchtower. You might not agree with our government all the time, but we still live in a country where we are free to gather and to hear God's word and to celebrate the sacraments. God has provided priests pastors and teachers and godly parents and fellow church members to call us to repentance and constantly remind us of all of God's promises. And what does God seek? Our love, our worship, our attention, our trust, our obedience. And what does God receive? We want to. Don't we? we? We want to worship God and listen to his word. We want to trust and we want to obey, but, but it's so difficult to, to spend time gathered with fellow Christians around word and sacrament for an hour is, is a start. But during the week, unless it's just me, it's a struggle. To get the family all together at one place and at one time. Not just so that we can study God's word, but just so that we can worship God and remember that the air we breathe and the sun that warms the planet and all the food in our house and all of the clothes and even work and school, these are all gifts from God. And I I want to get my family together also to listen to God's word so he can regularly speak to us, but... There's school and homework and practice and tournaments and this thing and that thing constantly pulling us away. And when I read God's word, I want to believe it. But so often what God says, it doesn't match with my perception of reality or what I think or what I feel or or what I wish was happening. God, why don't you do it this way? And I want to obey. But as Paul said, the good that I want to do... I don't always do it. Instead, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Which is why I'm so thankful for God's patience. Because what should God do with me? And what should God do with us? He should bring us wretches to a wretched end. But instead, he sent his son. Jesus quoted from Psalm 118, which we also read earlier. He said that the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. God sent his son knowing that the people, his chosen people of Israel would reject him and hang him on a cross. And yet God used that to save us. 
Because Jesus produced a perfect, abundant harvest for God. He obeyed all of God's commands. And because he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, now God has patience with us. And so every day when I sin and I come back to God and I ask him to forgive me, he always does. In fact, that's the, God, the promise that God made to Graceland this morning and to all of you in your baptisms. God promised that every day he would wash away your sins. Even the ones that you committed the day before and the day before and the day before, even the ones that you said, God, I'm never going to do that again. But, but then you did. God says every day, I forgive you all of your sins. Every day, God clothes you in your baptismal gown, the robe of Christ's righteousness, so that he can see you as his perfect and holy child who has given him all of the fruit that he could ever desire. Every day, God promises that he will provide not just whatever you need for this earthly life, but that he has already prepared for you an eternal life in heaven. Every day. God continues to show his patience to us. And what does he want? He just wants us to say thank you. He wants us to continue gathering together to worship and honor and glorify him. He wants us to read our Bibles so that he can continue to fill our hearts and lives with his promises. He wants us to trust him so that we'll live according to his will, even though that makes us misfits in the world. I'm not patient. I don't like to suffer and I don't like to wait. But God is patient. Like a parent who watches their child sometimes go down the wrong path, God suffers when we sin. But rather than bringing us to a wretched end, he, he continues to wait. And he continues to give us his word and his sacraments to assure us of his love and his forgiveness and the life he has promised. On the one hand, it seems foolish. Because we would never wait for each other as long as God waits for us. But on the other hand, because God is waiting for us, it's shocking. Some might even call it reckless. Amen. Amen.